Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two of his teaching, The Seven Spirits of God. All right, so this morning, The Seven Spirits of God, part two. And I'd like to begin with one of our core scriptures from last week. That's Revelation chapter three, verse one in the New King James Version. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now remember last week we talked about how that this was taken from uh, the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor, which are in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. And in those letters... Jesus dictated words to the Apostle John that he delivered to each of these seven churches, and Sardis was one of them. And uh, most of the churches got something good said about them before there were areas of improvement required. But Sardis got hit right between the eyes right off the bat. (laughs) You got a reputation for being alive, but you're really dead. How'd you like Jesus to say that about your church? Thank God. We're not a big church yet, but we are a church alive. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So last week we introduced the concept of the seven spirits of God and we spent the better part of the message uh, showing you in Scripture where that phrase comes from and what it means. And then we broke it down in a way that we can practically apply it to our lives. Now, if you remember We find that phrase, the seven spirits of God, in three places in the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. And from those references, we find out some things about the seven spirits of God. Number one, the one who possesses the seven spirits of God is the Lord Jesus himself. So if the sound of that term uh, disturbs you somewhat or sounds a little bit mysterious... You can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is the one who possesses the seven spirits of God. Amen. So if Jesus has got them, they must be okay. They must be all right. They must be something we need to learn about. Amen. And in those references in chapter three, four and five, first of all, we we found out that Jesus was the possessor of the seven spirits of God. Then we found out that they provide spiritual illumination, kingdom power and prophetic vision. Isn't that wonderful? And if Jesus Christ possesses these things, and He lives in us as born-again believers, then we also possess and can tap into these valuable spiritual resources, spiritual illumination to understand the Word of God, kingdom power to reign as kings in this life, and prophetic vision to show us things to come. I'm so happy that Jesus said in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit has been sent to show you things to come. Amen. I love the fact that the Lord will alert you ahead of time of something that's coming that's around the bend that you can't see with your natural eyes, but you can perceive them with your spiritual eyes. He will show you things to come. So we also talked about how the phrase, the seven spirits of God, evokes in many believers a sense of the weird and the esoteric. By the way, I 
realized as I listened to last Sunday's message that I used the word esoteric three times without defining it. So I thought this morning I would treat you and let you know what that word actually means. From the Collins Dictionary, if you describe something as esoteric, you mean it is known, understood, or appreciated by only a small number of people. And that's exactly why I felt impressed of the Holy Spirit to teach on the seven spirits of God. Not a lot of people know anything about it. Amen. There's a fair number of people that don't even know it's in the Bible. But I just told you, I showed you one scripture in Revelation chapter 3. And I'm telling you, you can check it out later. It's also found in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And it's also found throughout the Bible, but not necessarily in those terms, the seven spirits of God. Amen. Because as we're going to find out, the seven spirits of God is an expression in Bible speak of the multifaceted nature of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How he's at work in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you would, I think you should avail yourself of last week's part one, where I go into the seven spirits of God and that terminology in great detail. This session, we're going to shift a little bit towards the practical application of the seven spirits of God or the multifaceted nature of the spirit of God in the life of a spirit filled believer. Amen. Praise God. So buckle your seatbelt and hang on. Praise the Lord. If you will read with me from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Last week, we just read verses 1 and 2. This week, we're going to add verse 3 and see what else we can learn from the prophet Isaiah. First of all, I want to remind you, if you don't know this, that these words were prophesied by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was even born. Amen. It's just awesome. Let's begin with verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Woo, amen. That makes me want to shout. Why, Brother Scott? Because I know a little bit about those terms. Once again, this lead verse tells us who the prophet is referring to. The rod is Jesus, who came from the stem or the offspring of Jesse, which is King David. Jesse David and the greater son of David, which was Jesus. Amen. He was in the lineage of David. So we know that it's talking about Jesus. And it says, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, out of the roots of the rod, which is Jesus, a branch will grow. Who's the branch? You and I are branches. Amen. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. So we're talking about Jesus and we're also talking about the church. And what are branches for? Branches are there to bear fruit. Amen. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches and we are called to bear fruit for him. Amen. And the only way Jesus said that you can truly bear fruit is if you stay hooked into the vine. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Remember, this is talking about Jesus. Now, Isaiah didn't know it was Jesus. 
He knew it was the coming Messiah, but he didn't know it was going to be Jesus the Christ. We have the benefit of knowing that information because we're New Testament believers. We've already seen the fulfillment of this prophecy. So we know this is talking about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Notice... If you counted them, you'll find that there are seven manifestations or attributes of the Holy Spirit mentioned here in verse 2, which take, as I said before, some of the mystery out of the term, the seven spirits of God. The Spirit of the Lord upon, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord for a total of seven. Thus, Isaiah gives us a little amplification as to what Revelation is talking about when it mentions the seven spirits of God. Jesus is the possessor of the seven spirits of God because he is filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He has the Spirit within, and He has the Spirit upon. Amen. So do you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're born again, if you're Spirit-filled, the Bible says you have the Spirit upon and the Spirit within. Amen. Hallelujah. Both working to mold you and make you into someone that looks like Jesus. Amen. So all of these expressions that I just read up there on the screen, all of these expressions are expressions of the multifaceted nature of the Holy Spirit who operated in Jesus and now operates in you and me if you're a believer. Amen. So last week we started by covering the Spirit of the Lord upon what exactly that meant. And I believe that the Spirit upon arises from the Spirit within for the New Testament believer, beginning with Jesus. Jesus got filled first in Luke chapter 3, and then Luke chapter 4, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then He came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit to His hometown of Nazareth, and He stood up and read from the book of Isaiah, and He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he got filled first, and then as a result, the Spirit came upon him. Why does the Spirit of God come upon a person? The Spirit upon is there to make you into the person that God called you to be. So that you do the things that God called you to do and reach the people that God called you to reach. In Jesus' case, he was anointed to preach the gospel. He was anointed to be our example. And he was anointed to be our sacrifice, our substitution. Amen. So he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. Amen. Hallelujah. Whatever you've been called to do, there is a spirit upon you to do that thing. Remember over there in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, we talked about this last week. Whatever gifts you have been given, and the Scripture makes it clear that every person has at least one gift in the kingdom of God. Whatever gift or gifts you have been given, there is a grace that comes to operate in that gift. How unfair of God would it be to give you a gift and say, okay, you're on your own. 
He didn't do that. He gave you a gift and then he gave the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit upon so you could function in your gifts and callings. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Verse 3. His delight. Remember, we're talking about Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Amen. I love that. I believe the prophet Isaiah was saying that the coming Messiah, Jesus, would delight in the fear of the Lord and that that would be the key to operate in all the other attributes mentioned in the previous verse. It starts with the fear of the Lord. And as a result, he, Jesus, would judge like God judges, not from outward appearance, but from the heart. He would judge people by the heart, not by their outward appearances, not by the physical senses alone, but by the indwelling spirit of the living God. And guess what? If Jesus lives in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and dwells in you. Romans 8, 11 tells us that. Then we also have the capacity to operate in the spirit of the Lord upon the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Amen. All of that is in you as a born again, spirit filled believer. You just have to learn how to tap into it. You got to draw it out. So I want to talk for a few minutes about the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not afraid of God, but I do have a reverential fear of God. Proverbs 9, verse 10 and 11 in the New King James Version. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. Ooh, glory, I like that. You know, when I was a teenager, I didn't think about long life. Now that I'm a little older, I think about long life. I want a long, full life. Not because I'm afraid of death, because I know where I'll be, but because I want to do everything that God called me to do in this life. I'm telling you, the older you get, the more you think about that. Lord, I want to be the person you call me to be, so I do the things you call me to do and reach the people you call me to reach. I don't want to get to heaven and find out that there was one person that I overlooked that I could have touched, that it could have had an impact in their life. I don't want that. So I want long life. And guess what? If you'll operate in wisdom, the Bible says it will give you long life. It will add years to your life. It's a promise. You can bank on it so long as you dedicate yourself to operate in the wisdom of God. So what is, what is this thing called the fear of the Lord? If you look it up in the concordance, you know, the Hebrew word just means fear, but, but more of a reverential awe of God of His enormity, of His greatness, of the almighty, all-powerful God, the one who made the vast expanse of the universe and, you know, how small we feel in comparison, you know, the great God and then little old me, you know. 
That's called a reverential fear of God, knowing that he's so much bigger and so much more powerful than you are, and yet he still cares about you. That's a reverential fear of God. A reverential fear and awareness of the existence of and the awesomeness of the all-powerful, almighty God. It's the first step towards operating in true spiritual wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. It all starts with the fear of the Lord. Oh, Lord, you're great and you're mighty. Your power eclipses anything I can imagine. I'm so small in comparison to you and the works of your hands, O Lord. But, Lord, you still care about me. What is man that God cares about him, David said in the Psalms. I look at the the moon and the stars and the planets, and I wonder, why does God even bother with little old man? Well, guess what? He created all of that for his little old man. Glory to God. Glory to God. And if you operate in the wisdom of God, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added unto you. Amen. Notice that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are all mentioned here together. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, it happens a lot. Why? It makes sense to me because they're all intertwined and they all work together. There are also three of the seven manifestations we just saw in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. But once again, the key to tapping into and operating in these other manifestations is the fear of the Lord. I believe that the spirit of the fear of the Lord is at work in the hearts of men even before they become born again, even before they know God. Let me illustrate with one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 in the New King James Version. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Amen. It all starts with the fundamental belief that there is a God. He does exist. And once you see Him in creation and the vastness of the universe in which we live, you become aware of the vastness and the awesomeness of God. You become aware of the power of Almighty God. And the enormity of of His creation and the smallness that you feel in comparison, it humbles you and produces inside you a reverential fear of the living God. And when that happens, you take your first step of faith and you decide you're going to pursue the one who made the planets, the stars, and the galaxies. Amen. And if you pursue him with all of your heart, it won't be long before he leads you to his word. And then it won't be long before he leads you to his savior, Jesus. Amen. I know people who have come to Jesus just looking at the stars. Just looking at a setting sun. God spoke to him, said, I made that. I am the living God. You know, creation is ample evidence of the existence of God if you're looking with the right attitude and the right heart. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 1, I digress, but it's a good digression. In Romans chapter 1, it says, those that have examined creation can see the work of the hand of God. And if they never say yes to the one who created it all, if they, if they never enter into covenant with God, they will stand one day and he will say, you have no excuse. Did you see me in creation? Maybe no one showed you the word of God. Maybe no one showed you the name of Jesus or told you about what he did for you. But surely you saw the planets and the stars and the galaxies. You saw all the life on planet Earth, all the plant life, all the animal life, and the beauty and the, and the complexity of the human being. And you believe it all just happened by accident. You are without excuse. You know why? Because they know better. Even these ardent evolutionary biologists, they know better in their heart of hearts. They know the math is not working. And I'm telling you, I taught statistics at the college level, at my Ph.D. in engineering. I taught math and statistics, and I'm just telling you, the odds are just astronomical, beyond astronomical, that such a theory could be valid. It's just ridiculous. Any really intelligent person would look at the theory of evolution and go, that's a nice theory, but there's no facts to back it up, and it just seems like science fiction to me. Maybe that's why I was tempted there my junior year at NC State. I, I took a course in uh, physical anthropology, and it was all about, you know, all these different primordial man creatures, you know. And I was drawn in by it because it sounded so scientific and it sounded so, so elegant. And I was a believer. And so for a while, I, I tried to squeeze evolution into the Bible. and I just couldn't do it. And finally, one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, if you're going to believe John 3:16, then you're going to have to believe the Genesis account of the creation of man. I said, okay, Lord, maybe I don't understand it all, but I believe it. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And you know what really disappointed me about my Christian brothers and sisters? I went around saying, hey, I think there might be a way where, you know, uh, evolution can fit somehow in the Bible. Maybe it's God's way of bringing man into existence. And they all shunned me and treated me like a pariah. Instead of saying, hey, brother, did you consider this? And giving me a logical, cogent, scriptural, biblical argument against what I was trying to wrestle with, you know? So if you got a friend that's struggling with this, say, listen, I know there's a lot of Christians out there that believe in theistic evolution, that God was the one that was behind it, and he sort of helped it along, but it doesn't comport with the scripture. It doesn't line up with the truth of God. So you need to reconsider that thought pattern. All right, somebody in here needed to hear that, amen. Hallelujah. Whoo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so we said that the spirit of the fear of the Lord activated other things, in particular, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of understanding. So let's talk about them for a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18 in the New King James Version. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now that's a mouthful. But here Paul, the Apostle Paul, is praying for the believers in the city of Ephesus. That they would receive or access the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of revelation which really is just understanding. And also the spirit of of the knowledge of God so that their spiritual eyes would be enlightened to the treasures that belong to them in the inheritance that came to them through Jesus Christ. You got more than you realize you have friends. You've got inheritance. You've got a great rich uncle who lives up in heaven who gave you a tremendous inheritance. And all you got to do is dig into the word of God and find out what belongs to you. Amen. It's a great inheritance, and you need the wisdom, the revelation, the understanding, and the knowledge of God to dig that stuff out of the Word and start applying it to your life. Notice also that the spirit of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are mentioned here together in Ephesians. They're also found in Isaiah 11:2, and they're also found symbolically in Revelation chapter 3, 4, and 5. So here in Ephesians chapter 1, we have another New Testament validation of Isaiah eleven two, 2 that we can add to Revelation chapter 3, 4, and 5, which we covered last week. And they all help to unfold the concept of the seven spirits of God or the multifaceted nature of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of believers. Amen. All right, before we go any further, let me give you some basic definitions applied to the Word of God. Now, this is my definitions, okay? I like to boil it down and make it simple, amen? Knowledge comes when you discover what the Word of God has to say. Understanding or revelation comes when you realize what the Word you discovered actually means. And then wisdom comes when you apply the word that you discovered to a particular area of your life. It starts with knowledge, it progresses to understanding, and then application in wisdom. Amen? Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 9, New King James Version, a wonderful passage that illustrates this process. My son, if you receive my words... And treasure my commands within you. So it's all activated by the word of God. You might have the seven spirits of God living on the inside of you. But you have to activate them with the word of God. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. So that you incline your ear to wisdom. And apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Amen. That's a good amen stop because this is a long passage. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Let me stop right there. 
You got to pay attention to the words that are coming out of God's mouth. Wasn't there a movie? <laughs> I won't go there. Some of you saw that movie. Because the words that came out of God's mouth, some of them, not all of them, some of them ended up in your Bible. Amen. You want a word from the Lord? Open up that dusty coffee table Bible. Dust it off and read some of the words on the inside of there. Amen. That's the word of God to you. Glory to God. All right. So pay attention to the words that are coming out of God's mouth. Amen. The words you see in the scripture and the words he speaks to you by the spirit. Amen. You know, occasionally in my life, I've had the Lord speak to me very powerfully. Uh, a lot of times it happens with what I call the inward audible voice. In other words, it's a voice that you hear on the inside, but it is so loud, it might as well be audible. How many in here have had that happen to you? Amen. It's very common to the born-again believer. Amen. I remember I was, I was very discouraged at one point. This was in like the late 90s, and things weren't going real well for me, you know. And uh, I know I was just struggling with depression. You know, and all of a sudden I'm driving one day and I hear these words. You are known in heaven as one that does not give up easily. Don't stop believing God for the impossible in your life. I was like, whoa. And I heard it like seven or eight other times after that. Later on, the Lord said, I sent an angel and he's been whispering that in your ear for weeks. I said, I receive it. Even to this day, I'm praying, I'm asking for new impossible horizons where I have to believe God for it to come to pass. This is why God is into big visions, because big visions only happen if you believe God for the impossible. And if you could do it in your strength, where would the glory go to? You. But if you have to depend solely on God or it ain't going to happen, all the glory goes to him. Amen. Amen. So listen to the words that God speaks to you, either in print form or in spirit form. All right. Why? Verse 6 says why. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Listen to that. Do you have an important decision that you have to make? You're not sure which way to go? Then dig into the treasures of the word of God. Let the spirit of wisdom rise up on the inside of you and he will show you every good path. Amen. First John 2.20, one of my favorite scriptures says, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. When we were still meeting in the hotel up there at the Hampton Inn and my people were getting worn out setting up and tearing down every Sunday. We were there for over a year. So I started crying out to the Lord. We got to find a place, Lord. So then I'd go into all the commercial 
websites that have commercial properties. There's like three of them that I checked, and I checked them every day for like three months, and nothing, nothing, nothing. Either they were perfect on the inside with five parking spots, or they were a shack with 50 parking spots. I couldn't find anything that was big enough to house us and had ample parking to, to give way or make way for growth. So I just got frustrated. And finally, one, one day the Lord said to me, why don't you just stop the Internet searches for a while? You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. And if you know all things, you know exactly where to take your people. I was like, okay. So for about a week, I didn't look at a single property. All I did was say, I have an unction from the Holy One, and I know all things. Therefore, somewhere inside of me, there is the knowledge, there is the wisdom of where to take my people. And then one day I got up, and I felt a release from the Lord to once again get on my computer and check the commercial sites. And the very first property that came up was this property. And the Lord said, this is your place. And I looked at the picture, and I'm like, are you sure, Lord? I, it looks like there's 15 parking spots. We need more than that. You know, from the front, the hedges hide the rest of the parking lot. And I heard the Lord say, go check it out. It's real close. It's three-quarters of a mile from our house. So I got in our car, our pilot, and I drove down, and I pulled around the hedges, and I saw the 50 more parking spots, and I said, thank you, Jesus. And then I got the realtor to show me the place, and it was a total wreck. It used to be a gym, and we had to start from ground zero and raise this place up, and we're still in the process. But thank you, Jesus, for the unction that comes from the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of the believer. Amen. That's why I know we're where we're supposed to be now. Amen. I know I heard from God. Hallelujah. Whoo, hallelujah. Where were we? Ha, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Notice that all of these treasures of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding can be accessed by digging into the truths found in the word of God. They're in you, but you have to dig them out. you got to draw them out. I believe all the plans and purposes of God are already inside of you. When you got born again, God deposited the plan that he had for you before the foundation of the universe. He dropped it in your little embryo. And it's up to you when you grow up and you become aware of your calling, it's up to you to draw those things out. Proverbs 5.20 says, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. One translation says, plans and purposes are in the heart of man, but a man of understanding will draw them out. There are plans. There are purposes. There are things God called you to do that are in seed form on the inside of you, and all you got to do is pray them out. One of the ways you can do it is by praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost, and you can draw those things to the surface. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So all of these manifestations that we've been talking about, all seven of them are tied to the Word of God and your knowledge of the Word of God. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord and, and all the manifestations we've been talking about all work in concert with and in agreement with the Word of God. 
God's not going to call you by the Spirit to do anything that violates His Word. Because His Word and Spirit work together. In fact, I like the way uh, John 6, 63, Jesus said, He said it like this, My words are spirit and they are life. In other words, the Word of God is more than just words. There's a spiritual component to the Word of God. That's because the Word and the Spirit work together. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and the words that you read on the pages of your Bible or on the pages of your device are God-breathed and God-inspired. Amen. Listen, the believer today in this day and age of, of technology, you got no excuse for not reading your Bible. Anywhere you go, you got a phone and you can read the whole Bible while you're sitting there in the doctor's office, while you're sitting in the dentist's office, while you're waiting for your car to be repaired. We got no excuse. The word is everywhere now because of technology. And I think it's wonderful because technology is a neutral thing. It can be used for good and it can be used for evil. Amen. But praise God, we're using it for good. Amen. It reminds me of John Osteen, you know, Brother Joel's father. He used to hold up his Bible before he preached every sermon. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am, and I can do the things it says I can do. You know, these days we say it like this. This is my device. I am what, it's, I am what it says I am, and I can do the things that it says I can do. Amen. Glory to God. Which version do you use? Uh, the galaxy? Uh. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Notice that knowledge of the Word of God is up to you. You can gain as much knowledge as you can stand. It's up to you how much you're going to dig into the Word, how much you're going to find out that's in there, how awesome your God is. How awesome the inheritance that has been given to you. It's up to you to study it out. It's up to you to exercise that spirit of knowledge. Amen. And there's a progression that begins with the knowledge of the word. After knowledge, with the help of the Holy Spirit, comes revelation or understanding. Then the spirit of wisdom rises from within and shows you how to apply that knowledge to every area of your life. Amen. Well, I think that's enough for this session. I'm having fun. Hope you're having fun, too. So far, we've covered or at least touched on five of the seven spirits of God mentioned in the book of Revelation, which are, once again, expressions of the multifaceted ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. The ones that we've covered so far, because I doubt many of you have been keeping up, are these. I think I got a slide for it. The spirit of the Lord upon the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding and the spirit of knowledge. Next week, we'll spend a little bit more time on wisdom, understanding and knowledge, but we'll also wrap it up with the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. And we will finish the seven mysterious spirits of God. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed part two of Dr. Forrest's message, The Seven Spirits of God. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays 
at 7 p.m. for Spirit-Filled Prayer. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.